Welcome to STEM Radio Hour, a podcast series that explores our emerging identities in an ever-changing world of computing and technoscience. We would like to acknowledge the financial support of the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning at the University of Calgary, the Imperial Oil Foundation, and the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary, Canada. I'm Alicia Wilson, a Bachelor of Education student at the Workland School. I would also like to introduce a new co-host. Their name is Dylan. Hello, I'm Dylan Paré, a PhD student in the Learning Sciences at the Workland School of Education. In this episode, we continue to explore the relationship between art and technology. We'll speak to Weston Sandberg, a musician and an elementary school teacher with the Calgary Board of Education and Dr. Pratim Sengupta, Research Chair in STEM Education at the Workland School. Weston and Pratim collaborated on a project that breaks boundaries. Their work together explores making music with code and making code for music. But their work didn't start with music and coding. It started with Lego. Pratim and Weston met when Weston was a student in the Bachelor of Education program. He was taking a STEM education course that Pratim was teaching, and in the first assignment for this course, students had to design a robot using LEGO Mindstorm NXT. Weston's design was unique. He used code to make his robot react to music that he and his band played. Here is Weston describing his robot. So it kind of had, it looked like a scorpion kind of, had a tail with two permanent markers, and they would swing down and make a mark basically every time that there was a sound of a certain volume. Every time we did it, it was different, which is bizarre because one time we did the same song, the same code, I think like four times and every picture was different. It was a great example of how, like you can rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, but the circumstances of life change no matter what, they change. And I just thought that the robot was such a great example of that because the exact same program Everything was the same. The songs were the same. Obviously, we probably hit a few different notes and, and, all, and play, played louder or softer and all this stuff, and that influenced the robot to do different things. Weston speaking about his robot and the unpredictability of life made me think that there is an important question here about the relationship between code and life. Weston brought his musical expertise to the robot coding task, and the result was something that was much more than code. It was code that was shaped by music. Weston's robot project quickly became something more than just a robot. So I loved it. I thought that this is great. And for me, it captured the essence of the relationship between the deterministic tendency that drives us to code, like we want to build something and control the behavior. And then what Weston said, that life itself it's so non-deterministic. We've been teaching coding to teachers for nine years now. And so this was the first time somebody 
took code, took music, and the coding did not interfere with the music, and the music shaped the code in such a way that the code could not have shaped itself. Something clicked. Pratim and Weston knew they had tapped into something with that robot, but they wanted to build on that idea using their passions for music and coding. Weston began work on coding a musical synthesizer called Agent Sonos. Okay, so Agent Sonos was a grid with different coordinates and each coordinate is represented by a sound or a sound file, voices and things like that, but generally just instruments, <coughs> drums, guitars and pianos and those kind of things. But so as you use this grid and as you go along the x-axis, you click on different spots on the grid and as the moving bar goes over that lit up spot, it plays a sound file associated with that point on the grid. Weston worked for months on the initial coding for Agent Sonos. Through a lot of trial and error, he learned a new language. A working prototype was brought to his band's jam sessions. And here, Weston, along with his fellow band members, Lizette and Mike, began jamming with Agent Sonos. During these sessions, Weston continued to edit the code. Weston went on to tell us about how he understood the challenge the band faced in making music with the synthesizer he had coded. And so this is where my Jack White thing comes in, is it, the White Stripes are known for being simplistic, and like that's their thing. And in this interview he gave, he's like, people are always, well, how do you, you know, you're boring on one string or whatever. And he's like, no, no, like that's when you get creative. When you're constrained to yeah. one string, now you have to be creative, otherwise it's boring. And that's not what we did, but that idea of like, Bringing this new thing in, it constrained us, it forced us to be creative, and it forced us to be completely different. I know that it was changing the way this sound. I don't even think it's the same band when you're playing with Asian Sonos and when you're not. I think it's a very different experience. Like with Weston's first robot, jamming with Agent Sonos transformed the code. In the context of code as instrument, it became much more. It was as if it became a fourth member of the band. And as the band played with Agent Sonos, they began developing a very different sound to their music. I had a chance to listen to the band sound before and after playing with Agent Sonos. With the new synthesizer, the music had a funkier pop feel to it. Weston explained that learning to play with Agent Sonos code happened in three movements, each of them very different. Right, so, so the setup was we had a piano with a mic, we had another mic, we had a few amps, and I was mostly, sometimes I jumped on the bass, but mostly I would do the synthesizer and then jump on my guitar. First movement was nobody would play, we would get something on Agent Sonos, and then once it started to go, we would start bringing in the instruments and we would kind of build it up like that, like piece by piece kind of thing, and then kind of go back and forth. The second movement was the opposite of that. So we would start playing, um, and the way that we did this was Mike and Lissette would start playing together, and then I would feed off of them and come up with the Agent Sonos uh, or the synthesizer music, which is, which is way harder. 
because there's still a there's still a bit of that like human versus robot. Like this is yeah. the computer is always duck 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 duck. It never strays. Um, where, but humans aren't like that. So it, that was harder. But it brought out completely different songs and sounds. That was the second movement, and then the third movement. It was some kind of mixture of the two where we would go back and forth, and each movement had such a different formed the songs in such a different way. As we were talking about Weston's band learning how to jam with Agent Sonos, it was becoming more and more clear that there was something bigger than learning how to code. Weston refers to Agent Sonos as a synthesizer, which is a kind of instrument. But is it really jamming with another instrument? And in my own research over the last decade, I have come to a very similar situation that you can design technology, you can write code, but the contextualization of code is where code becomes meaningful. I think people tend to overemphasize the act of just writing the code or creating the code, not realizing that it's how it interacts with life. Uh, an experience. That's, I think, the much more complex part of writing code. It's the afterlife of code. That phrase, the afterlife of code, really struck me. It speaks to the fact that code becomes meaningful only once it's contextualized. I think this is at the core of how Weston's robot took on that lifelike unpredictability. And Pratim recognizes it again in how Weston's band sounded very different when they played with Agent Sonos. It's not that the code itself comes to life, but that it interacts with life and is contextualized by the music. Cannot, uh, that's where it's no longer code, right? And that's where and the first time that happened is when I, I think completely stopped seeing Agent Sonos as code. I never, I never saw Agent Sonos as code, right? Like it's an instrument to me, um, and I don't know. And it, it is code, like. I mean, if you had to do surgery on it, then we would get a programmer, right? So yeah, that's why, that's why we. It's important for us to know that it is code. Yeah, we like take it to the guitar shop. Yeah, and and yeah, I could go and fix it. And I can go change yeah. it. But what it is was not. It it wasn't code, right? It, um, it was it was an instrument to me. To incorporate Agent Sonos into the band, Weston had to continually make changes to the code. And yet, Weston sees Agent Sonos primarily as an instrument. But Pratim sees Weston's relationship with Agent Sonos as a new way to understand coding. I think that's what, I think that's a good metaphor for your relationship with coding too. You're jamming with the code. Right. Yeah, and, and that's something I learned from you. I mean, that metaphor, actually, that, you know, this is essentially what I've been doing. And it gave me a new lens to look at my relationship with color. When musicians play or improvise with one another, they call it jamming. It's a process of working back and forth, 
playing off of and with other musicians and their instruments. As musicians that we had jammed together a long time and you know or we knew that like when you're just live jamming there's a moment where it's like oh okay that's we want to capture that that's our song right there and then now you want me to just kind of do random stuff yeah. like see what you guys do oh that's you we're gonna take that and make that into something and i feel like in the songs where we realize that could happen there's this moment where we kind of stopped messing around and started building like so we would like muck around and maybe I'd go back to the computer and change some things based on what they were doing and then I would play and then we kind of like hit it where it was like equilibrium and it's like okay this is good okay instead of changing this let's build off this like a conversation between band members and their instruments Coding is a conversation between the person creating the code and the code itself. The conversation continues beyond the moment of creating code, between the coder, the code, and the real-life context that actually makes the code meaningful. This is very different from a deterministic approach to coding, where we learn to code for the sake of coding. When we view coding as jamming, the focus is on experience and interaction, as opposed to a product the algorithm, or the data structures that everyone must learn. But I think the, the biggest gift in all these experiences is the human element here, that the relationships that you build and the experiences that are that cannot be reproduced after they have happened, right? And that, it's that emergence. And there's so much of a buildup and then there is that moment and, but he love all of that. If it comes from a place of love and belonging, and you know, you really love all of that. And I don't think we, as we are talking, there is not a single line of code that's flashing in our minds. And that's really important. That the takeaway should not be code. The takeaway has to be experience the work that that i put into it and then you see it work and you have these experiences with this tool that you created that's something that i'm going to take into my teaching career because i know i felt this and i felt this other times before but like i built something that works just confidence and i can do this it's not out of this world just all the things that you put into that and then you bring it in there and and it helps you create that experience that just carries me forever like i mean it won't you have to build new experiences but that if I can get kids to understand that or to feel that like we built something here that or in the experience of building something, it actually matters. Like it matters to me and it, it formed something that I cherished. I think that's what's more powerful. Weston came to coding first as a musician. His identity was central in shaping how he approached coding. When Weston learned to write the code that would become Agent Sonos, it was with his experience as a musician and jamming with his band in mind. The code didn't determine his experience, his experience shaped the code. And it should be noted, Weston's work with Pratim on Agent Sonos won the 2016 Pure Award, which is the University of Calgary's highest award for undergraduate student research.
Initially, I was thinking about how the afterlife of code is about how code becomes meaningful in context when used by people. But there's more to it. The human context of coding makes code more than just symbols, data structures, and algorithms. It's not only in this context, that is, the afterlife of code, where code comes alive. Coding can be seen as an ongoing conversation where many voices come together. If we don't want to reduce human experience, then that needs to be at the center for how we teach coding. The impetus to code should come from a place of play, a place of jamming. So, instead of ending this piece with our usual song, we'll leave you with Weston's band playing their first song with Agent Sonos. Next episode, we speak with Dr. Georgianne Davis, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and author of Contesting Intersex. We'll be discussing the influence of science and technological innovations on how we understand and treat bodies with regards to sex characteristics. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Radio Episteme, SoundCloud at Radio Epistemology, or subscribe on iTunes to STEM Radio Hour. Thanks for tuning in. Alicia Wilson and Dylan Perret, signing off. off.